0: I'm Rico
1: and I'm Jessica
0: and this is the always the critic podcast where a couple of friends review the latest movies except we literally have zero qualifications to do so Jessica it is Thanksgiving week
1: it is Thanksgiving week we just had our friends giving yesterday and it was so nice to get together and chit chat hang out together mm-hmm. and eat some good food I I, so we took home like that extra mac and cheese yes oh my god we yes. had it that last night and it was so good <laughs> I, I think imagine. they use like truffle oil or something in it. Like it just has that like, I don't know. That I don't know. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. How how did you fare yesterday?
0: Um. So yesterday, I had this Korean barbecue cheesesteak. Fantastic. That sounds delicious. Really good. <laughs> and I split, um, the Baja shrimp.
2: Uh, ah.
0: With Baja shrimp tacos. Okay, I was like just yeah. shrimp like No, not just shrimp, sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh Baja shrimp tacos is got what you. I split. Yeah. split. So we we did a split on the two uh that was really good. Uh and so we had fries and But What, what kind of
1: fries? I don't I don't recall what kind of fries you guys had. Uh, we had the truffle fries. No, truffle, we didn't get truffle truffle parm fries.
0: No, we didn't get the truffle fries. <gasps> we got the new, regular so fries.
1: Okay. But those are yeah. good
0: too. Yeah, no, they're they Come taste on. really good, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but Damn. overall, a pretty good meal. Really good to be able to spend it with people and uh, be thankful
1: to yes. be able to
0: be with each other and absolutely company. company. Uh, speaking of thankful. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what we're doing today is we, yeah. are, we wanted to shout out a specific person who we're fond of this person's movies. Mostly it's their writing mm-hmm. uh, in these movies. And we wanted to give thanks for <laughs> the writing and the prose and just her in general, uh, Nora Ephron.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, there's yes. a sense of her movies
0: fit very well with the season.
1: Correct. Most you know? of her movies do have a fall, autumnal, wintery sort of vibe to them. And that is kind of what made us intertwine with this Thanksgiving week and Nora Efron. And she's... She's a steward of the season.
0: (laughs) She really is. So uh, before we get talking about Nora Ephron and her many accomplishments and her, you know, beloved movies, if this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe to your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you do like us, go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars goes a long way for us.
1: Come and check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and still Twitter at Always And if you're a fan, please, please consider becoming a patron. It is such a great way for you to get involved, show your support, and get some extra content. You can check out the page on patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod. And thank you to our patrons, Janet, Curtis, Bale, Cindy, and CD.
0: Thank you so much. So uh, let's go ahead and let's kind of... Uh, introduce people who yeah. may not know Nora who Efron. is
1: Nora Efron
0: exactly who got you is she all right so wanna wanna start I'll kick us it off? off
1: I'll kick it off sure so the bastion of information accuracy Encyclopedia of Wikipedia says that that Nora Efron was born on May 19th, 1941, died on June 26, 2012, and she was an American journalist, writer, and filmmaker. I had no idea that she was a journalist or essayist, but here we are. Um, in twenty thirteen, I didn't know this either. She received a posthumous Tony Award nom for best play for her play lucky guy Mm. and she's also directed films and it's usually her own screenplays that she directs including sleepless in seattle and you've got mail those are two of the best romantic comedies of all time and they both came out in the 90s and they both star meg ryan and tom hanks so she was born in new york to a jewish family something i didn't know either She was the eldest of four daughters, and she actually grew up on the West Coast in Beverly Hills, California. Her parents are both East Coast born, and they are both writers, playwrights and screenwriters. I had no idea that it kind of ran in the family, and her sisters are also writers.
0: The art of the prose
1: runs in the family. Yes. And after college, she worked briefly as an intern at the White House under the John F. Kennedy President John F. Kennedy, the fact that you're shaking your head already is killing me. You know what it
0: feels like? This feels like something that you would see in a movie and you would say, there's no way this would happen. There's no
1: way she did all this. (laughs) No, keep going because you're not done. I'm not done. So she applied to be a writer at Newsweek. They told her they couldn't hire her because they don't hire any women writers. So then she accepted a position as a male girl instead. So she did that for a little bit. And then she eventually quit Newsweek because, of course, they wouldn't let her write. So she participated, actually, in a class action lawsuit against the magazine for sexual discrimination, which, of course, they won. Both the lawsuit and her role were fictionalized in a 2016 Amazon series by the the name Good Girls Revolt, which is a play on the book that came out covering all, uh, all of this whole lawsuit, which... I thought was amazing. <laughs> I had no idea that, you know, this is kind of what starts her on this sort of, I don't want to say women's rights, but she is very keen on women's roles, women's rights, and mm-hmm. just that whole dynamic within society. Government. Exactly. Exactly. I found this intriguing that when she was younger, she idolized Dorothy Parker. hmm And Dorothy Parker, if you don't know, is an American poet, writer, critic, and satirist based in New York. And she was extremely famous for her time and even now. And Dorothy Parker was known for her wit, for the wisecracks, for uh, her eye for 20th century urban foibles. (laughs) Which I don't know why Google said that, but okay. And go go
0: ahead. So there's an example from The New Yorker. Yes. From one of her articles. So this is something that she wrote. I have spent a great deal of my life discovering that my ambitions and fantasies, which I once thought of as totally unique, turn out to be cliches. Nora wrote this in 1973 in a column for Esquire. Uh, Did you say 1873?
1: 1873.
0: Nineteen seventy three. Okay, okay. I'm pretty sure I didn't say eighteen seventy. Okay,
1: sorry. I'm. I don't know why I heard eighteen seventy three. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> and so,
0: basically, she, uh, Efron was thirty two at the time, and her subject was, uh, was the particular cliched ambition of becoming Dorothy Parker at the time. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Who
0: you know, obviously, she analyzed just like you said in her youth. The point is, the legend Efron wrote. I grew up on it and coveted it deep, uh, desperately. All I wanted in this world was to come to New York and be Dorothy Parker, the funny lady, the only lady at the table.
2: Mm. Uh,
0: so the thing is that when Ephron moved to Manhattan in 1962, she discovered she was far from the only lady at the table to have the Dorothy Parker problem. Because everyone else wanted to be just like Dorothy Parker. <laughs> Every woman wanted to be the next Miss one-liner, you know, uh, once... And to make matters worse, Efron started reading deep into Parker's work. She found much of it to be kind of corny, uh, (laughs) bobbling, and to use Efron's withering words, so embarrassing. (laughs) Unquote. Uh, Reluctantly, she let her childhood hero go and quote, before one looked too hard at it, Efron wrote, it was a lovely myth.
1: I love that uh, personally that she kind of went through a crisis of faith. With her love for Dorothy Parker, whom she had met on multiple occasions, because of course her family was well-to-do. They grew up in Beverly. She grew up in Beverly Hills. Her family was a family of writers and screenwriters, and so they knew Dorothy Parker, and they they had parties, and she would come over, and so she'd met her. And it's so sad that like when she started kind of digging into her work, actually, She she and then obviously everybody else wanting to be like Dorothy Parker. Everybody else had the same idol. Right. That I mean, that does something to you. I feel like there's a whole essay in there, actually. There's a
0: whole essay in that alone. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but
0: Efron did write for the New York Post and for Esquire. Uh, she was always witty, biting, criticizing, writing about women's dilemmas and breaking pop culture news. Mm-hmm. Uh, something about the New York Post, though, is always so funny to me because I always think of the John Mulaney joke. Oh, Oh yeah. Somebody wrote, uh, read a better newspaper. Yeah. And is just trying to remember everything and tell you the news.
1: (laughs) Ah, that's that's a perv in Queens.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. Uh, now here's, here's an interesting thing about Efron. Uh, how did she get her way into screenwriting? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And it's that Efron rewrote a script for all the president's men in the mid 1970s, Mm -hmm. along with her then husband, Carl Bernstein, Mm -hmm. uh, now, while the script was not used, it was seen by someone who offered Efron her first screenwriting job, which began her screenwriting career.
1: Yeah, so she got noticed, and that's how she kind of stumbled into Hollywood and screenwriting. Um, I think her first—I might be mistaken. But 1983, she wrote Silkwood, mm-hmm. and this she was co-scripting it with Alice Arlen. And this is the year 1983, if I didn't mention that already— it's a film directed by Mike Nichols, big name, big stars name. Meryl Streep, <laughs> another big name. A huge name. As the title character, Karen Silkwood, who is a whistleblower for the Kermake, uh Cimarron nuclear facility who dies under suspicious circumstances. So it's kind of like a heavy handed movie where the main lead dies. Yeah. And that was nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars in 1984.
0: Yeah, pretty pretty big deal.
1: She came out the gate swinging,
0: swinging, swinging, and also she used her journalistic background there, uh huh, to, to because this movie does feel like one of those journalism movies. Yes, it feels a like a spotlight. Yeah, feels like
1: The Post. Feels like something all the like President's that. Men. You yeah, know, it yeah. does
0: feel along those lines, uh, and so from there, um, just to because that was in uh, 1983 that that came out. So if we rewind right. back
1: just a tad bit. This is um, important. So in, she wrote a book. Yes. A novel called Heartburn. And I haven't read it yet, but I really want to after reading all about it. So this is in <laughs> 1976. She was married to, like we said before, Carl Bernstein. And in 1979, Efron had a toddler son, Jacob, and she was pregnant with her second son. When she discovered her husband's affair with a mutual friend. Oof. So she was inspired to write this 1983 novel, Heartburn, which was then made into a 1986 Mike Nichols film starring Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep. She basically did a semi-autobiographical screenplay. And in the film, Efron's fictionalized portrayal of herself, played by Streep, is a pregnant food writer when she learns about her husband's affair. Right. So little
0: details have changed, of course. Little
1: details, Uh, but the broad strokes are the same. I do
0: want to mention one thing real quick, because we've mentioned his name a couple times, Carl Bernstein. Uh, You may be thinking, who is Carl Bernstein? Yes. Carl Bernstein was a young reporter for The Washington Post in 1972, and he was teamed up with Bob Woodward. um, And those two broke the news on a little thing called Watergate.
1: Yes. Which is why they kind of got involved with the All the President's Men screenplay.
0: Mm -hmm. because they were in it. They were the the people involved. Yeah, they were the people involved. So, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Nora Ephron kind of being in there as well, being Mm -hmm. married to him, or, you know, being together and then marrying him. Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nora Ephron was eventually married three times and her final husband she was married to for 20 years. Mm. So they they lasted a really long time. Um, I think we're at the point where we can talk about 1989's When Harry Met Sally.
0: Yeah, it's about time.
1: It's about time. So she wrote the script for the rom-com to end all rom-coms in 1986. Film was released in 1989, of course, directed by Rob Reiner. Is it Reiner or Rainer? I never Reiner. Reiner.
0: And he was on a heater.
1: Yeah, because he I think Misery was, was around here as, a, was as well.
0: Around, it was coming up around the coming, corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had finished, you know... Uh, another movie uh, that people love, The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride, yeah. Like, this man was on, like, he was batting a thousand for a few years here. Yeah. yeah it was it was insane.
1: So, of course, stars Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan. Um, Efron claimed that she wrote this screenplay with Reiner in mind as the character of Harry and herself as the character of Sally. Efron said she wrote the part of Sally simulating an orgasm into the script, per Meg Ryan's suggestions. Additionally, the comment, I'll have what she's having, said by a deli patron, which is, of course, very famous tr- trivia here, played by Rob Reiner's real-life mother, Estelle Reiner, watching the scene unfold nearby, this was Billy Crystal's idea. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the film is based on director Rob Reiner's experiences post-divorce as a single man. And coincidentally, Reiner met his current wife during the making of the film. Hey, look at that. <laughs> awesome. Kismet.
0: Yes, and now the movie or the script uh, was nominated in 1990 for the Oscar for Best Writing, Screenplay written directly for the screen. That's a monster. what
1: I I know. What I don't like is that Nora Ephron never won an Oscar. <sighs> she sucks. was nominated three times.
0: She was she's an incre- incredible writer
1: and won all all other kinds of awards, but never won an Oscar.
0: But never got the Oscar. Yeah, which really sucks. Yeah. What was
1: happening in 1990? What were the other uh, writing
0: uh, nominees? That is a great question. I can definitely let you know in the meantime. But while I'm looking for that, uh, why don't you let us know a little details about when Harry met Sally?
1: Okay, so here's a, some story time for you guys. So the concept of Sally... This is a fun fact. Being a picky eater was based on, of course, Nora Ephron. Years after the movie came out, she was on a plane ordering something very precise, and the stewardess looked at her and asked, "Have you ever seen the movie When Harry Met Sally?" <laughs> I love that story. I love it. I've heard it so many times. I love that story every time. I don't know what I would do if I was Nora Ephron in that situation. Um, Nora Ephron, of course. Supplied the structure of the film, and she basically stuffed it with dialogue based on the real-life friendship between Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal. For example, in the scene where Sally and Harry appear on a split screen talking on the telephone while watching their respective TV sets channel surfing, was something Crystal and Reiner did every night? They would channel surf together on the phone? (laughs) <laughs>
2: oh, that's wonderful. That is it's wonderful. that's delightful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Actually, do you have the 1990?
0: I do. Oh God. Uh, okay. This is a this is a pretty strong year for just in that
1: category. 90s is definitely. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying, like 90s in general was well, yeah. very strong but for movies. In
0: 1990, the year that When Harry Met Sally was nominated Eligible. for best writing. Okay. Uh, the other movies against it: uh, Sex Lies and Videotape by Steven Soderbergh. Oh. Uh, Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. Oh,
1: shit. Yeah. Crimes
0: and Misdemeanors by Woody Allen. And the eventual winner, Dead Poets Society. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh. It was going to be a really tough year to win if they won. Damn. But with that said, though, you and I really, really enjoy When Harry Met Sally. And I think the writing kind of speaks for itself when you're listening to to the way they talk, just the rat-a-tat-tat between mm. the characters is really good. Yes, it's a little bit unbelievable the way they kind of speak to each other, but <laughs> it's so funny and it's engaging.
1: It's witty. It's, it's biting. Windy, biting. That's her style.
0: That's her style. She mm-hmm. she loves being able to uh, use a joke to like get after someone, you know, or poke at something and use it as a funny joke in in a script she's mm. really good about that yeah so obviously we would have loved to see her win that was going to be a tough year that's to win, a
1: fucking though. tough year that's, that's tough it year. that's an airtight year it really is wow Oof. wow dead poet society alone yeah i know that alone was that if that really and tough. when harry met sally and then you had a handful of other shitty movies that nobody remembers i would have still been like wow that's a really tough like that's call there exactly yeah true.
0: Now, here's the thing. We love the movie, When Harry Met mm-hmm. Sally. But the title itself, apparently, Nora Ephron, she was pleased with the movie, just in general. But she right. was unhappy with the title. And that I is th- one <sighs> thing that she said she wishes she could go back and fix.
1: I like the title.
0: I like the title, too.
1: I think I it's what iconic. She
0: have, what she would have, like, you know, come up with. There, If
1: you look it up, there's a whole mess of titles that they... We're considering and, and none of them like just friends was a was one that i remember that to me is not a lasting like 1989 movie just friends you know what i'm saying
0: yeah i, I see what. You but said. when
1: harry met sally it's kind of i don't know yeah, it implies there's... that something is coming
0: right it's de-
1: exactly. it's a it's a dependent clause to bring it's a dependent clause. editing into it there you go yeah what happened next when harry met sally what happened
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Continue. (laughs) Continue,
0: please. So uh, funny enough, so there is a line in the movie that she borrows from herself. Yes. Uh, So (laughs) in the scene prior to the wedding where Marie is going to marry. Jess. uh, Jesse. Jesse. Right. Jess. Yeah, Yeah, Jess. Uh, So Marie tells Sally that Harry was seeing an anthropologist. Sally asks her what she looks like. And Marie responds with thin, pretty. Big tits, your basic nightmare. So this line appears in Nora <laughs> Ephron's book *Heartburn*, published nineteen eighty three. Lifted, lifted <away>. from
1: herself. <laughs> She's basically,
0: like, oh, I'm a pretty good writer. I should, I should borrow from myself. <laughs> I would do the
1: same fucking thing if I was her. Yeah, of yeah. course. And now it's, it's immortalized. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: oh, so speaking of what I was saying, where it kind of feels unnatural like the way they talk to each other one scene in particular is very difficult and that is the telephone scene oh yeah this and it seems
1: so simple
0: it does but i bet you and you'll let us know it wasn't so simple
1: (laughs) no this is a scene where they're all four of them are talking to each other on four different phones and it's all cut in except the way they shot it was all at once so it took 61 takes to nail and they were all on one soundstage with multiple sets, like three sets, basically. The Billy oh, Crystal God. set, the bedroom set with Carrie Fisher and uh, her husband, Jess, and of course, Sally in the bed. Yeah. Oof. Three sets on one soundstage and they had to get it right. All of their cues, hanging up the phones at the same time. It was a mess. And if one person messed up, then they had to do the whole take over again. Because it, it is con- one take. Yes.
0: Ugh, that's
1: tough. Which is incredible because you think it wouldn't be because they kind of splice it together. Like when you're watching the movie, I think it's like split screen three ways, right?
2: Yeah,
0: it is. So you have uh, Marie and Jess in the middle and then to the right you have uh, Sally. Mm -hmm. To the left you have Harry. I don't think anyone would have thought that was a one take. No, I don't think so. I think people probably would have been like, oh, they probably stitched it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just timing type of thing no no like that that's a real deal 61 takes yeah now nice this is a movie that made 93 million worldwide including its re-releases which is not something you see a lot of for a romantic comedy no it was like a top 10 finisher for the year 1989 for sure uh like it's again it's it's something that you don't see often it's beloved by critics it's beloved by audiences uh, when you look back 91% from critics, 89% from audiences. Oh, yeah. well, like, you know, it's it's wonderful. We so, have our
1: own When Harry Met Sally episode too, which yeah, is like an anniversary episode we did yeah, way we back. I mean, the quality is not there. We're baby podcasters, but we decided we're going to take on the the great When Harry Met Sally. And that was a lot of fun too. I stumped you though with my hot take that <sighs> I
0: I still... Don't bring that up.
1: Why would okay. you bring that up? I don't know why. I just... I don't know. It's been years, so...
0: Just to say it, we, we're we not going to hash it out, but just to say, <laughs> Jessica believes that the mo- movie probably would have been better if they just ended up and stayed as friends. Yeah. That's your that's your general gist. That's the best part of the
1: argument. movie is, is them being friends. And of course, my
0: argument is no. I, I believe... That they had to end up together. <laughs> we're not going to rehash this out. We had this <laughs> argument already. But since we're still on this movie, uh, are there any like memorable watches that you've had with that movie?
1: I, well, I, I can't say memorable watches because I watched it in college for the first time. Mm, okay. On a laptop in like a dorm room. <laughs> and, and uh fine remembering- watch. Yeah, I think I watched it at the wrong time because a few years later I rewatched it and now I haven't stopped rewatching it since then. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it really hits you like mid 20s and older. Yeah. That's yeah, when the movie is like per- pitch perfect. You're in the age range of the movie.
0: Yeah, that's when it makes the most sense to like be in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Because the movie you know kind of starts us off leaving college and then in their mid-20s or late 20s and then early 30s is where we finally catch up it's the final segment that's the bulk of the movie there um and so yeah like i'll be honest with you i didn't see the movie until my mid-20s as well and yeah that is the right time to watch this movie Because you kind of get the sense of like... You get it. You get it. You get what it is. You get
1: the dating scene. You get, oh, you know, Marie's character and her neuroses. And you get Sally a little better. And Mm -hmm. you understand Billy Crystal and how he's softened over the years. He's not so abrasive like he was in college. Because we all know like people like that. You know what I'm saying? We know
2: that dude.
1: Yeah, we know that fucking dude. So it just works a little better when they age it up in the story. And then you... Hit it and you watch the movie. Yeah, in that at that near that point in your life. So
0: yeah. Um, how about well, we've we've said a lot of these in a previous episode, but best lines.
1: Oh my I god, mean, it's there's endless. So many
0: there's just
1: too it's many. It's endless. Um, I quite like when he's talking <laughs> We quoted that to each other this weekend. Actually, yeah, we did. We did <laughs> randomly. Yeah. Um, uh, like oh I took god. her to a place that wasn't human. Yeah, I made her meow.
0: You're you're telling me that Mr. (laughs) Nobody fucks with Mr. Zero. Mr. Zero knew about your divorce before you did,
1: or when Jess says, uh, you know, divorce is just a, a symptom that something else is wrong or something. And he goes, "Oh yeah, well that symptom is fucking my wife."
2: <laughs> oh my god! That but is that's such—I a a mean,
1: it's brilliant because even the way—it's not just the lines either; it's the way it's staged and how they're at the mm-hmm. football game, and they're, and they're still doing the doing wave, the wave. <laughs> while they're
0: having this <laughs> depressing conversation. It's
1: so serious. Yeah, I love when
0: they're having the argument about the wagon wheel table. Oh, yeah. And then, like, Billy Crystal is like, and you're going to be going back and forth about this table, you know? Yeah. Or 10 uh, rounds about this stupid yeah. wagon wheel table. <laughs> 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 or, like, or you'll end up in a store
1: singing uh, Suri with a French <laughs> on top in front, in front of Ira. <laughs> <laughs> i called that one every so often the story with the fringe on top in front of ira
0: <laughs> yeah oh my goodness that is so great
1: that uh-huh. is so
0: great um i oh that, the one is like i had that dream again oh, oh the this is so good
2: yes <laughs>
0: <laughs> and i'm almost I, i've made it through that i get a, a a nine point something from the eastern <laughs> european or from the
1: yeah, yeah yeah from two different judges For he gets past Gr-
0: and i get a 5.6 from the from the eastern european my judge. Mother, who my, my mother my mother disguised, disguised as
1: an east German judge
0: it must have been, been, been the
1: dismount <laughs> it's so quick it's it so quick i love firing it
0: firing that off really fast yeah or but then the, the very next one is like her sex dream is like it's the same <laughs> one i've had it's
2: stop like, yeah
0: A faceless guy. He has no face. (laughs) And he just rips my clothes off. And then what happens? That's it. That's it. (laughs) And this is the sex dream you've been having since you were young? Well, sometimes (laughs) I change it up a bit. How so? What I'm wearing.
1: (laughs) And, like, he just looks. He looks off and just starts walking. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. And then, of course, Autumn in New York. Ugh. The city yeah. as a character,
0: yeah. The city as oh. a character, because not only autumn, which is beautiful, especially mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. scene with the faceless band, <laughs> but and then like they go to the museum immediately after that, and so you see the outside. Oh yeah. Uh, the The window it has mm-hmm. like this beautiful view of like the park. Oh, beautiful! Mm-hmm. But then also wintertime, like Christmas time in yeah. the city as well. Uh, another beautiful detail that they mix in. So yeah, the fantastic movie, fantastic. <laughs> but the, I mean, I think the line, the really big line that I truly love is like when you, when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with someone,
1: you want you the want rest of your life, to, life start to start as soon as soon as possible. possible.
0: Exactly. Uh, so and I
1: love that little <laughs> wrinkle you get in between your eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the whole thing of breaking down Meg Ryan yeah. <laughs> in that moment. I
0: love that you get cold when it's 72 degrees out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> I so, love that I, when I spend the day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my, my clothes. It, it I mean, it's lovely.
0: I love that you're the last person that I want to talk to at night before I go to bed. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Such a good movie. That entire speech. It's
1: aggressively romantic. romantic.
0: It really is. That it really that is.
1: Uh, yeah, the to the point that, seen.
0: that in our rom-com Hall of Fame, we actually had the discussion about putting Billy Crystal in just yeah. on the strength of one movie. One movie, uh, because it was it's that strong of a of a movie. That strong, like it's for some people, and I think maybe you and me uh, consider it the best rom-com. Holly, I, I think I do, all time. for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I do too. So just the strength of one movie that we were considering putting him in our initial class of the rom-com hall of fame. Um, He didn't make it, but you know, you can scroll back and listen to that episode. That's another older episode. episode. That was leading up to the, was it? I think it was either leading up to it or we did Harry met Sally first and then we did that one. It was something like that. It was like that. Yeah. So they're back to back. So definitely check those out. Uh, We're going to, we're going to move, move on. Yeah, we're going to move Yeah, a few years ahead. Premiere. 1993.
2: We're... Woo.
0: A nice little jump. Uh yeah. we uh this is uh one of the big ones in the Rom-Com community. And that is Sleepless Sleepless since. in Seattle. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um so I'll explain what the movie's about. The film stars Tom Hanks as Sam Baldwin a recently widowed father whose son calls into a Chicago-based radio talk show in an attempt to find his father a new partner. Uh, He lives in Seattle at this time. After hearing this call, Baltimore resident Annie Reed, (laughs) played by Meg Ryan, becomes infatuated with Sam and sets up a rendezvous for the two to meet in New York City. This is a cross-country love story.
1: I love it. It's fantastic. I love it. It's only vibes. It is vibes. And that's, I I don't know why it works, but it does. Yeah. So They only have two minutes of screen time together. That's
0: insane.
1: Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are lovers, cross-country lovers in Sleepless in Seattle, and they only have two minutes of screen time together. Yeah.
0: That's insane. It's amazing.
1: It's amazing. It's brilliant. <laughs> but
0: it's such a great love story how they set that up. They set that up very well.
2: Hmm.
1: Uh,
0: so this movie garnered another nomination for the Academy Award for uh, Nora Ephron. Uh, this, you know, for the 1993 screenplay. I will look up who what she were the What again. was the competition? Okay, you cool, cool, cool. let us know a little more details about the movie.
1: Okay, I found this super interesting. Because usually I don't give a shit about box office, but here we go. This movie, Sleepless in Seattle, has made $202.9 million Good worldwide. Lord. Wow. Including re releases, which wasn't much more. Didn't put it over that much more. The budget for Sleepless in Seattle was $21 million. Insane. This is an outright box office joggernaut. Smash. Smash hit. Smash hit. Yeah. I am a little bit upset about the Rotten Tomatoes score, though. I don't know why it's sitting at a 75%. We'll yeah. just leave it like that. Yeah. <laughs> Not
0: exactly great. So the movie was nominated for that 1993 Oscar. Hmm. Uh, here are the competitors for that oh, man. one. man. Uh,
1: Philadelphia. Oh, another Tom Hanks movie.
0: Which he won. His he Oscar. won for that. He, his first Oscar for it. Yeah. In the Line of Fire. Mm. Uh Dave, the movie Dave?
1: I've never heard of that movie in my life.
0: And then finally the winner was The Piano, which was written by Jane Campion.
1: The Piano. Have you seen The Piano?
0: I have not, but I know it has it has Anna Paquin, right?
1: Yes. A young Anna Paquin. A child Anna Paquin. It has Harvey Keitel.
0: Sam Neill as well. I, I don't remember Sam it.
1: Neill. Maybe he might be in there. But it has um, the voice of Miss Miss Incredible, Mrs. Incredible. Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter. She plays a mute pianist mm, who okay. uh, gets taken. She marries, she's like an old spinster and she gets married to, um, I think it might be Sam Neill or some, some other officer who turns out they all move to Australia or she moves to Australia to meet him. It's crazy.
0: So she won... Uh, Holly Hunter won Best Actress for this one. Yeah, Pacquiao won Best Supporting Actress. That's right. And she was like one of the
1: youngest winners, right? One
0: of the youngest winners ever. Uh, she was eleven years old.
1: Wow. No, she
0: she is the second youngest actor to win an Oscar.
1: Well, who was the youngest? I thought she was the youngest.
0: That is a great question. Was
1: it Jacob Tremblay? <laughs>
0: uh, the youngest is Tatum O'Neill. Oh, when he was ten.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so Tatum O'Neill won
0: at 10 years old.
1: All right, this is a big tangent. But the piano, I I can see why the piano won, to be honest. And it does feel like more of a prestige Oscar bait kind of movie, to be quite honest with you.
2: Fair enough.
1: Does it have the lasting legacy of Sleepless in Seattle? Hell no. Fuck no. Not at
0: all. Not at all. No.
1: Talking about legacy, though. Go. While making the film. Nora Ephron was focused on its long-term legacy. She said, I quote, our dream was to make a movie about how movies screw up your brain about love. And then if we did a good job, we would become one of the movies that would screw up people's brains about <laughs> love forever. <laughs> <laughs> and that that is diabolical. That's that is exactly what this movie is.
0: Mm-hmm. It is. It truly is.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, Meg,
0: or, I'm sorry, uh, when Meg Ryan's character is in the kitchen in the middle oh fun that,
1: fact fun this fact this is a
0: fun fact uh listening to the best of radio callers the caller disappointed in denver is actually voiced by nora Ephron. i love it i love <laughs> when the directors or people involved with the craft get in on the movie yeah in, yeah you know in ways you I know rob
1: that. reiner was in when harry met sally as well yeah. he's the voice that says hey everybody 10 seconds until new year
0: yeah, during the New Year scene with her.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she um, has a basically did the same thing in her directorial, uh, not debut. Maybe it was no, but she did the same thing for, for "Disappointed in Denver," which I fucking love the alliteration too.
0: <laughs> disappointed in Denver,
1: sleepless in Seattle. Disappointed in Denver. <laughs> Those
0: are the best. Uh, so more fun facts. Uh, so nice. The scene between Tom Hanks and Victor Garber. That are crying over the movie The Dirty Dozen from 1967. Yeah. <laughs> Completely improvised during the take. <gasps> Completely improvised. So, imagine just Yo, so, okay. A, oh, that's fantastic.
1: That is so good. That is so good. Especially because you have Rita uh, Wilson... Rita Wilson. Playing off of them in that scene where she's just been crying mm-hmm. over... Uh, um. Oh, my God. What is that movie with uh, Carrie Grant? Holy shit. Oh, that's uh, like the whole crux of the movie, too. Uh,
0: crap. Not Philadelphia story. They
1: they met. Oh, my God. What is it? I'll look it up. I'll look you it up. Look it up. Yeah. Uh,
0: while you're looking that up. Uh, another little thing. The role of Annie, of course, played by Meg Ryan, was originally offered to Julia Roberts. And she turned it down. <sighs>
1: It's an affair to remember. I apologize. An affair to remember. Yes. I thought I should have movie remembered
0: they that. they were kind of talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she turned it down. Uh, apparently, uh, Kim Basinger was also offered the role in the early script process, but turned it down because she thought the premise was ridiculous. So after Michelle Pfeiffer, Jennifer Jason Leigh, and Jodie Foster declined all, <laughs> Meg Ryan finally landed the role.
1: So here's what I find interesting is that Nora Ephron has basically already worked with Meg Ryan because when Harry Met Sally was in the Mm eighties, and still she wasn't first choice to play Annie in Sleepless in Seattle. They went to big names like Julia Roberts,
2: Jodie Foster was
1: like. Michelle Pfeiffer. At this moment. Yes, this is their epoch. This is their yeah. era. Yeah, it is. And finally, after all of these other leading fine. ladies declined, we can work together again. Fine, we'll <laughs> hand it to you, Meg. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so weird, but it's become like a, you know, a legacy defining movie for Meg Ryan because mm. she is in three of the biggest rom-coms ever. Right. You know. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a defining movie for her. So it's a big deal. Uh, Now, another fun fact.
1: These are like coincidences, but like, I don't know. I don't know how much they are coincidence or just like, maybe it is like a thread that was intentional. I Uh, don't know.
0: Maybe because it's Nora Ephron writing that. So she could be drawing on her own likes and everything. So when Annie is on the airplane to go to Seattle, the book in her lap is Pride and Prejudice. And then in... You've got Mail, which we'll talk about in a little bit. The favorite book of Meg Ryan's character is Pride and Prejudice. So it could be one of those things where, you know... I think they, that
1: one might be intentional.
0: Yeah, because it's Nora writing it. So she could be, you know, putting her own thing into the characters.
1: But I think also Nora Ephron tries to draw parallels to literature and previous movies and inspiration. And I find that really admirable because... Not only does it kind of tie it back to a legacy film for Mm -hmm. Sleepless in Seattle, it is an affair to remember. Yeah. They basically have the same exact uh, sort of like ending, like not ending, but they have the same uh, setup where they have to meet on the Empire State Building and this whole thing. Yeah. And they quote the movie to each other. Annie and Rosie O'Donnell's character are obsessed with the movie. They watch it together and it's featured throughout. That's intentional. Same thing yeah. happens for You've Got Mail and Pride and Prejudice, which is basically another rehash of Pride and Prejudice. It is. Yeah. You're
0: right. It is. Uh, so speaking of Rosie O'Donnell, yeah, she's in the movie. Becky. Talk to me. Uh, she helps Annie write her letter to Sam and Jonah. The letter includes the line, I have been an excellent third baseman for as long as I or anyone else can remember. Here's the funny thing about that is that Rosie O'Donnell – Start in A League of Their Own with Tom Hanks, and she played a third baseman for the Rockford Peaches.
1: So I didn't think anything of it until she played the third baseman.
0: Like it's like one of like, those like, things where it oh, like clicked. It's like, wait a minute.
1: Yeah, wait a yeah, minute. yeah, That's <laughs> too much. Too much coincidence.
2: <laughs> so.
1: Yeah. What do you like about Sleepless in Seattle? Like what are your like, do oh, you have a, yeah, yeah. I, I got
0: a little side fun fact.
1: Oh, yeah, same. So,
0: apparently, during the filming of when, uh, uh, Sleepless, Sleepless
1: in Seattle. Sleepless, all
0: right. Apparently, early on in the filming, Tom Hanks was not very happy with filming uh, with the kid. Because... Oh, they swapped the kid. No, not because they swapped the kid. No, that's not it. They didn't swap oh, the kid. I They I did swap blame the kid, though. Him. Did they?
1: Oh, yeah, they fired the first kid that they hired. Oh, well, and the, no one says what the what well, the child actor's here, name was he, to this no, day. No, they
0: don't. But the I've heard that the reason why is because Tom Hanks was getting mad that most of the lines, the good lines, were being fed to the kid, oh. and so he was playing second fiddle to the kid oh. in a lot of his scenes. Yeah. So apparently, Tom Hanks was getting upset about that. That's what I. That's what has been rumored. That is. I just wanted to bring that in here.
1: That is a rumor, a real rumor. Wow,
0: that's a real rumor. I've
1: never heard that.
0: Yeah, that's a real rumor. Supposedly that he wasn't very. (sighs) Tom Hanks didn't like that
1: the kid was getting a lot, but but he was a very mature little kid, and he did have a ton of lines.
0: Yeah, good lines too. Do you like? I
1: like when he like stomps over. Oh God! You remember that part, like in Sleepless. I remember. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember what he's saying, but he's like, "I'm whatever, I'm whatever," and he stomps back to his dad's room. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "How did this kid know how to do that?"
0: (laughs) You'll be surprised how good like certain kids are. Like that's why, and this is another side uh, tangent. But whenever Hollywood finds like a really good kid actor, they like run with it. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, this kid can actually act. He can like. I mentioned one fears. earlier. Yeah,
1: Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> Tremblay.
0: Tremblay. <laughs> yeah. He's the perfect example of the last couple of years.
1: We also mentioned Anna Paquin. That's another one. Yeah, that's another
0: one. So, yeah. Uh, Jodie Foster. That's Jody another one Foster, we already mentioned. Um, you can kind of say like more something more recent uh, along with Jacob Tremblay was like Haley Steinfeld, who starred Mm. in True Grit at 13. True
1: Grit, yes, and she got a nom too. And
0: she got a nom for that as well. So, you know, when Hollywood finds a young, precocious kid actor, they're like, get him in everything. (laughs) Yeah, so, but we didn't really see this
1: kid in in a lot. after. No, I don't think he's acting anymore. No, he's not,
0: is he? Yeah. I don't
1: think so. Judging from like some of those TikToks, they're like, "Where are these child's actors Where now?" Are they and now? yeah, <laughs> they're like, ah, it's no longer acting." Um, I think that the ending of this movie is really touching, and yeah, I don't know how anyone can like sit through this movie and not appreciate the ending.
0: It, it's a beautiful and
1: all of movie. the all of the Easter eggs throughout that make that make you think they're meant for each other, that Annie and Sam are supposed Mm -hmm. to be together. Yeah. Especially, I mean, this is kind of weird, but maybe this is like a negative part of the movie, but they, Sam spends all this time talking about his wife and how wonderful she was, and how he knew that they were supposed to be together, that she was the only one he, that they, I think it was when they touched, he like helped Mm -hmm. her out of the car and took her hand to help her out. And like, that's when he knew And how she used to carve an apple Mm. and it would be this long strand. It wouldn't wouldn't uh, break. Remember? Yeah. Okay. so those two moments in particular, she does. Like she's listening to the, the radio broadcast where, of course, you hear the snippet of Nora Ephron as disappointed in Denver. And she's sitting at the kitchen table and she's. Uh peeling an apple, sorry, peeling an apple, not carving an apple, yeah, peeling peeling it all in one long strand, and that was something that he specifically said,
0: yeah, he's he and you're like pointed that out,
1: they're meant to be together, she's but is it be because together. she's like his old his first wife oh,
2: Ooh.
1: or is it because you know all of these things taken together mean they're meant to be together.
0: Oh, that's a good
1: thought. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the negative saying. part is that she is exhibiting some of the same traits as his first wife. As his first wife. Which makes him attracted to her. Not that he knew that she was peeling the apple in her kitchen in Baltimore. Right. But, you know, there is that magical moment where he takes her hand at the top of the Empire State Building and there's like this like beat there where whoa. they're just like at e- staring at each other and there is a whoa kind of moment. And that's mirroring that moment that he was talking about where all he needed to do was just like, you know, touch her hand and that was it. She's the one.
0: She's the one. And you.
1: What do you think? And you kind of you kind of like were taken aback by Yeah, I was taking the it first back. wife kind I, of angle. Yeah,
0: fr- yeah that that kind of like threw me back a little bit. Um hmm. I don't know what to think, really. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you see the flashback of him going to a a game, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: a baseball game with the family and his wife and stuff. And of course, she has that line, which was, I think, put in there by Rosie O'Donnell. But it is a line about baseball and the third baseman thing. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's certain things in this movie that I'm like, it's very romantic. But also, is it just because it's related to his first wife?
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know. I
0: see. I don't know. I I see what you're (laughs) saying. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to jump in with anything before we move on to the next movie?
0: I did want to say that there's one scene that I really like is vivid for me. It's when Annie travels to Seattle and they have like that eye contact and like you don't know if they're going to finally like get together there at that moment. But like they're so close. They're like you're waiting the entire movie. When are they going to get together? When are they going to meet? Obviously, the the whole thing is that they're going to meet in New York. But it's like are they going to? actually meet beforehand or are they gonna and like they make the eye contact and i think at that moment they both realize is that is that them is that the person that i've been looking for that i've been writing to that i've been listening to ah. I, I just find it like very like oh it's such a tease it's such a tease
1: but again, that also harkens to an affair to remember because when she comes back to Baltimore, she was like, All I could say was hello. And Rosie O'Donnell puts on the movie. The mm-hmm. VHS puts it on that part. And that's when she says uh, Deborah Kerr says all I could say was hello.
2: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's
1: you know
0: Yeah, it's very the similarities are the similarities are great. Yeah. A lot. So Uh, This is not the only time that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan worked together. No. It is definitely not.
1: Because Uh, also they've worked together three times because Joe versus a volcano.
0: Yeah, that was another time that they worked together. But this is the other big one. Yeah. 1998. You've got mail.
1: You've got mail.
0: There it is. (laughs) So this was uh, actually written and directed by Nora Ephron. Mm. Uh, So... Which she wrote the script uh, her with her sister, yep, Delia. Delia. Uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Delia. Uh, the story is a loose adaptation of the Ernst Lubitsch uh Lubitsch. No? <laughs> Lubitsch?
2: <laughs> I guess. Uh, Shop the around, the around the Corner. Corner
0: for 1940, starring James Stewart and Margaret Sullivan. Uh, You've Got Mail, of course. Meg Ryan is back as Kathleen Kelly, an owner of a small Alliteration. Independent- yeah, I know. There's always alliteration in <laughs> movies, books, comic books. You'll see it. All of a sudden, you'll you'll never un- unsee it. Uh, <laughs> Kathleen Kelly, uh, she owns a small independent children's bookstore in New York City. Uh, her quiet life is then threatened by Fox Books, a Barnes noble esque book-selling chain, pretty much, which opens near her shop. Uh, Fox Books is run by Joe Fox, played by Tom Hanks. Joe and Kathleen navigate a tumultuous business rivalry while unknowingly forming an intimate connection with each other via email. How quaint that sounds nowadays.
1: I think I like "You've Got Mail" better than Sleepless Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, okay.
0: I, I am a firm believer that this is the more fun, better movie. Okay. I think there are moments where I think. Sleepless in Seattle, it, it's a very romantic movie. Uh, I don't know if it's like... It's slow. It's slow, and it's not that big on the on the calm. No. The way You've Got Mail is.
1: You've Got Mail is fucking funny.
0: It is. It's a it's very great. funny movie. Yeah. It's great. It's a great movie. Uh, this big, giant blockbuster, because this movie made... 250 million dollars worldwide that's nothing to sneeze at no on a budget of 65 million dollars which most of it probably went to like hanks and ryan like (laughs) i mean come on now the critics didn't go to greg kinnear no (laughs) 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 oh my goodness
2: (laughs) or steve zahn
0: (laughs) now that we're just naming people from (laughs) them very 90s names greg kinnear steve zahn (laughs) parker posey
1: this is David.
0: Wow, those are some 90s <laughs> names. Uh, Critics, eh, not really feeling it all that much. 69% from Critics. I don't get that. 73 from Audience too. I
1: don't get that at all.
0: Um, yeah, I I I don't get it. It's it's a really good movie. It's charming. It's very charming. Um, so just some little things about the movie itself, uh fun facts, things like that. Uh, there's a scene where Joe accidentally closes the door on Kathleen's shop on the balloons. It was unscripted. Oh, God. Uh, Tom Hanks actually did that and ad-libbed the line. Good thing it wasn't the fish.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I So I rewatched this movie the other day and I thought to myself, this part is so enchanting. Mm-hmm. With him closing the door on the on the balloons, and then oh, I'm glad it wasn't the good thing. It wasn't the fish, and I was like, "This is such a Tom Hanks moment." I had no idea that it was ad libbed, accident that whole bit. Tommy and Hanks I love it even more.
2: Tommy I love Hanks. it even
1: more. <laughs> Tom uh, Hanks is full blown Tom Hanks by now. Oh
0: yeah, this, he is. He's already done Forrest Gump. He's yeah. already done uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. He's he has two Oscars already. Yeah. And he's already directed his own movie, I believe, or he's very close that to thing it, you that do. That thing you do. Yeah. So that man he talk about runs? Oh. This man. <laughs> what a run. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's a better actor run that you can name. Like there's there's some good names that you could throw out there, but mm. there's not a run like look at Tom Hanks's run from like It's 1990- hit after hit after hit plus Toy Story thrown in there. Yeah, 1992 to like 2001 there's like no misses. Like yeah. it's insane. It's Ugh. crazy. What a what a run. Uh anyway. Uh this movie has Dave Chappelle in it.
1: Dave Cha- fucking Chappelle. Yeah. <laughs> <Dave> Chappelle.
0: <laughs> Um, He plays uh, Joe's friend, uh, Kevin, friend, confidant. Uh, Basically, he was offered the role. So Chappelle (laughs) has been around. Behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. uh, He was previously offered the role of Bubba in Forrest Gump. Tom Hanks, the big blockbuster, worldwide phenomenon. He turned that role down because he felt Forrest Gump Was going to flop at the box.
1: (laughs) It's the era of, you know, mentally ill Oscar winners. Yeah. This is, it's out of fashion now.
0: Yeah, at this point it is. So,
1: but he thinks,
0: ah, never going to work.
1: He thought, no way.
0: Giant movie, one best picture. Uh, However, you know, I've, it dominated at the Oscars. Chappelle said he deeply regretted turning down the role of Bubba. Because, of course, you say that after the success.
1: Let's pause here. Can you imagine Dave Chappelle as As Bubba? Bubba.
0: I still can't imagine. In Forrest Gump? uh, (laughs) You know what it would remind me of? It would remind me of him doing like a skit making fun of Forrest Gump.
1: True. True. It would have come across as a joke.
0: Yeah. It it would not have come off as as sincere as it comes off in the movie.
1: No. Uh, That's hysterical. I I wish that Chappelle would do a sketch of him as Bubba. Oh, my God. And just bring it full circle. So Tom Hanks,
0: he heard that he, you know. Chappelle was down about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. He promised to work with Chappelle in a future film as a result. And he suggested to Nora Ephron that he play the role of Kevin. And Ephron agreed. Chappelle wholeheartedly accepted the role to work with Tom Hanks. Oh, yeah. like, I'm not turning this again. (laughs) I quite like Chappelle in this role. I do. I do. Yeah, it's good. It's it's just enough of, like, that quirky, funny sidekick character that Mm -hmm. a lot of rom-coms have. Right. Uh, You know, it's not overbearing. Like, there's just enough comedy coming from that character, Uh, the lines, or... When he goes in to like see Meg Ryan in the cafe, right? It's like, oh, she's hideous. and just like trying <laughs> to turn it off, and like he, Tom Hanks knows, like Joe Fox is like talking oh, he's about the around.
1: shipment full of Beatles and shit like that. Like he did, <laughs> he's doing the best with what he has. He,
0: he really is. He really yeah. is. Uh, so, what are some of your favorite uh, lines or movements in this
2: movie? Oh my
1: god, it's endless. So so good. Basically, when, when Tom Hanks gets with his brother and his aunt, <laughs> the two kids, and takes them to this, like, outdoor festival, sort of fall festival that's happening, mm-hmm. like, it just does something to me. Like, it awakens him. I'm like, I love Tom Hanks.
2: <laughs>
1: like, well and truly, he is so charming with the kids and doing like the strongman stuff with the hammer, yeah. And uh, taking photos in the uh, the cutout turkey or whatever the hell it is at, at the festival. I adore that whole entire scene, leading up to them coming up to the shop around the corner.
0: Yeah, that that is a very, very endearing.
1: It is so endearing.
0: It really is. I mean, that's Tom Hanks's whole persona. Exactly. Endearing. Every man, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. great.
1: He's great. Uh, him with the kids is basically yeah. He's great. I with mean, any kids. time. F O X. The whole thing. X. Yes, <laughs> I then, love like, Tom. How Hague.
0: do you spell? I can't remember what other animal. How do you spell
1: cat? F O X.
0: And Joe's just like.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and him meeting her for the first time in the shop. It's very memorable. He's like, May I ask who you are? And yeah. she's like, So proud. I'm Kathleen Kelly and I own this store. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it.
0: Immediately, like, Oh no. Oh
1: shit. <laughs>
0: oh crap. Yeah. I, I really enjoy their, you know, back and forth, you know, when they're writing each other. Mm. There's a lot of sentiment that they're expressing to one another. Yeah. And it really is that precursor to how we kind of communicate with people now Mm. uh where you have online friends you know you meet people online uh you know there are people that i have met because of online uh you know interactions like and this
1: podcast too is one of those things uh, yeah
0: like jake christie is a guy that i knew through online you know uh twitter where we communicated back and forth and yeah. now we have met up in person he's been on the podcast and everything yeah you know he's been it's been great so it's a precursor to that and it's a precursor obviously to online dating right as well like these two met in a chat room
1: the uh, that? that whole conversation of her saying we met it i wandered into the over 30s chat room and we got to talking and you know starts talking about how she's she likes him. You know, they're having great conversations. And the guy comes in, um, the part-timer comes in. I forget his name.
0: Steve Zahn's character. Steve,
1: yes. So they ask him, are you online? And he goes, <laughs> no, as far as I'm concerned, the internet is just another place to get rejected by women. Oh. <laughs> Speaking some truth. there just so accurate it hurts. But um the smallness of the internet is really what intrigues me when they talk about being online and emailing and stuff like that because there's only apparently 1 over 30s chat room <laughs> for, the entire, for yeah. the entire the internet. The entire internet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's uh, come a long way.
0: <laughs> I love when uh, the interaction where Joe says it wasn't personal. Oh and yeah. And then Kathleen Just is business. Like, what is that supposed to mean? I'm so sick of that. All that means is it wasn't personal to you. I love that It was that personal line. to me. It's personal to a lot of people. And what's so wrong with being personal
1: anyway? Yeah. Yeah. I love that line. What's so wrong with being personal anyway?
0: Uh, I do like when he's like describing the Godfather. He's just, what is it with guys and good? He's godfather? apparently
1: a big Godfather kind of sore.
0: He is because he. It's yeah. like the Godfather is the I Ching. No, no, but
1: but Tom Hanks
0: himself. Oh, Tom Hanks himself loves yes. the Godfather. Yeah, he yeah, really yeah, he really does. Uh, but like he like describes it like the Godfather is the sum of all wisdom. You know, Godfather.
1: <laughs> the I Ching.
0: The, yeah, the <laughs> I Ching, and he—it's the answer to any question. What should I pack for summer vacation? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Take the cannoli. (laughs) What day of the week is it? Monday, Tuesday,
1: Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. (laughs) It's so good.
0: It really is.
1: But I Um, like how he scratches his face and does the whole like. Yeah, like
0: just the mannerisms (laughs) of Brando and all that.
1: It just looks like Tom Hanks is having a good time.
0: Oh, yeah, he totally is. That's what I like about this movie more than Sleepless. It feels like it's. A more it's fun, in his wheelhouse yeah it's mm-hmm. a more fun environment more mm-hmm. playful throughout yeah. um, that's what I really enjoy uh, how do you feel about them meeting at the end like the, the final okay meeting. so
1: I have talked to my sister extensively about like the third act of this movie because mm-hmm. I've asked her straight up I'm like would you fall in love with the man who put you out of business your mother's shop mm-hmm. held so many wonderful memories mm-hmm. for you. It's your childhood. Yeah. It's your mother's legacy. What would, I mean, he put you out of business. It's gone.
0: It's, it's exactly. It's gone.
1: Would you fall in love with this man? I
0: don't, and that's exactly my
1: sister's reaction. She's like, mm, it depends.
0: <laughs> yeah. I it don't depends.
1: Think so, so you don't think so if it happened to you?
0: No. Like, like, if no, I, I can't. find out it's them. Right. Because obviously you're going in with an expectation. But here's the thing that she says, I wanted it to be you. I wanted, I wanted it to, a be to be you so, so badly. badly. Yeah. Ugh. So obviously he works. I mean, it's kind of a manipulation because. He oh, absolutely. That she is shop girl.
1: He's withholding the truth from her.
0: He is withholding.
1: And he tries to get in her good graces as his real self, like not as NYC 152 or whatever his username is.
0: Yeah, I just, I don't think I would be able to do it. If I find out, I think everything would kind of trigger back for me. Oh, right. This is the person that destroyed everything that I cared for and loved. Like he, the legacy that was left by my mother. Mm. went down the drain because of this person
1: my life's work
0: my life's work yeah
1: because she loved it
0: yeah she she, loved selling books truly loved that store she truly loved loved the memories that it created not only for her but for the people in the neighborhood yeah and she was like she even said that like in one of the messages that they wrote it's like it'll probably become something like a baby gap or something depressing like that (laughs)
1: The, the way c- that Nora Ephron had a handle on New York. Oh. She context. loved New York.
0: She loves dude. But
1: she knew what New York was. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And that line speaks volumes.
0: Yeah, because you'll go through New York now and especially like Manhattan or uh, worse, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn, especially like uh, what's this area? It's a, it's a very gentrified area now, but Basically, it's like now there's a Whole Foods and there's like this place and that place. And it's like it's lost all its charm of why it was like mm-hmm. Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you know. But, hey, you know, a lot of people moved in and they wanted to make it mm-hmm. uppity.
1: It wasn't a... um The closing of the store wasn't having to do anything with gentrification. No. But, I mean, there is a... um a spin on capitalism that the movie has because mm-hmm. they rep the Fox family represents this conglomerate, these right. people that don't care about the small stores and they're celebrating when competitors, smaller competitors are closing and they're like, they're very, um, it's almost like a, a satire or a, um, you know, a straight up commentary on it because it's so hyperbole it's as to not be real even though in a general sense we know it's real (laughs) it is real
0: it's very yes
1: but this family and like they're you know him living on a boat and then his dad owning the yacht next door and like it's very um it's a lot you know
0: Mm -hmm. i i totally get it yeah i get it uh yeah so I don't think I would, to answer your question.
1: To answer the question, you don't think you would fall in love with Tom Hanks?
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. That would be... It's it's a bridge too far to me because Mm. obviously he came into her life just recently, you know? Yes. But that shop was in her life since she was born.
1: Uh, Right, right.
0: And she, she grew up there. She... She wanted to care for it after her mother was gone, and she even says, "Oh man, there." Oh. I'll
1: pass it on to my own daughter.
0: Well, yeah, she does say that, uh, but it's not, that's not what she says here. She goes, uh, and this is a big gap. It, it mentions the baby gap thing again, but I'll <laughs> I'll kind of say it again. People are always telling you that. Change is a good thing. But all they're really saying is that something you didn't want to happen at all has happened. My store is closing this week. I own a store. Did I ever tell you that? It's a lovely store, and in a week, it'll be something really depressing, like a baby gap. Soon, it'll just be a memory. In fact, someone, some foolish person, will probably think it's a tribute to this city, the way it keeps changing on you, the way you can never count on it or something. I know because that's the sort of thing I'm always saying, but the truth is... I'm heartbroken. I feel as if a part of me has died oh. and my mother has died all over again. And oh. no one can ever make it right. This movie is a rom-com, <laughs> but if it hits you. It in, hits you, bro. It hits you in the gut sometimes. And some of those lines like that, especially when you see how much of an idealist she is about mm. her store. Mm-mm-mm. And then you see how it kind of gets ripped out from her. Is painful. So the fact
1: that she ends up with him is is pretty it's surprising. crazy. It's, it's surprising.
0: Crazy. It's a crazy thing.
1: If it was anybody else but Tom Hanks, I wouldn't have believed it. Right.
0: But Tom Hanks, man.
1: But Tom Hanks. But Tom Hanks. But Tom <laughs> Hanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, I think there, there's one more movie that we want to mention.
1: Well, there's two, but one we have more info on because that was just what I did. So right. she also, Nora Ephron, wrote the screenplay for Bewitched. Which was that ah, remake? I've seen Bewitched. Yeah, it's charming. Charming. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay.
0: Um, I think uh, the concept of like trying to make Daryl the star of Bewitched instead of you know,
1: yes, you know, the yes.
0: actual witch, Samantha, makes no sense.
1: Nicole Kidman. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, but I get it. Like they were trying to make it different.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Will
0: Ferrell in that role. I guess it's supposed to be funny, but I think you need someone a little more charming for that part.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: and he's not charming in that way. He is...
1: That was a mid-2000s movie. What? Yeah. Who would you have casted besides Will Ferrell and Bewitch?
0: I think it needs to be someone somewhat funny because uh, he ha- I mean, they have to end up together. Don't they end up together? What or? if it
1: was like, um... Oh my god. I just had his name and it slipped away from me. Um... Houston, <laughs> a star is born. What's his name? Bradley Cooper.
2: Cooper. Ooh, he Bradley was just Cooper coming
1: in the mid two thousands. He was just
0: coming up at that time. Yeah, where he could play off the jerk, and yeah. he's pretty good at that part too. But there's enough endearing mm-hmm. and charming about him where yeah. you can kind of see. Oh, he was doing stuff did. like
1: Failure to Launch.
0: Yeah, he was. And
1: uh Wedding Crashers. Yep. Although he so, was a big jerk in that movie. He was a Jackass in that movie, yeah, but yeah
0: uh, I think he could have probably. He done probably it. could have done it, but yeah, that was a bit of a of, uh, not a flop because I think it did okay at the box office, but it wasn't like the a flop well- for history.
1: There we in go. History. <laughs> there we go. In the Nora Ephron filmography, yes, in their it's her catalog. a Bit of a floppy. Okay, but then we get to two thousand nine, and we have Julie and Julia, mm-hmm. and I am told that you have not watch julie and julia
0: <laughs> unfortunately i have not seen
1: this movie okay that's okay uh so she efron directed and co-wrote the screenplay for julie and julia it's based on julie powell's blog and memoir of the same title the film is about julia child the famous american chef played by meryl streep and julie powell a new yorker attempting to cook her way through child's cookbook played by amy adams and this is before amy adams was amy adams if you feel me And, of course, she blogs her way through cooking, Julia Child's cookbook, and the film flashes back to Julia Child and her life and career and stuff. It was a commercial success, considering that it made $129.5 million worldwide on a budget of $40 million. That's not bad. Not bad. That's not Not bad bad. at all. Mm -mm.
0: Good return on investment.
1: Good return on investment. So what I wanted to say about Julie and Julia is that Mm -hmm. earlier we mentioned how Nora Ephron was obsessed with Dorothy Parker and her career, her legacy, the way that she was like the only woman in the room, a great, uh, witty writer. And I kind of feel like Nora Ephron brought that to the screenplay and was probably drawn to this story, which is based on a true story, Mm -hmm. because it's kind of dealing with Legacy and, you know, never meet your idols and sort of that whole thing. Gotcha. Where it's, the movie kind of has a fall from grace for Julie Powell doing Julia Child's cookbook.
2: Mm.
1: And I kind of like thought that that resonated with me after the fact, after learning that this whole thing that she was obsessed with Dorothy Parker when she was younger. Julie and Julia has that feel to it. Got it. Where like later on in life you're like idol you're you're idolizing someone mm-hmm. and you know you kind of stop after a while. Yeah. Because of whatever reason.
0: Yeah, whether it's because you see like the truth or whether something mm. gets spoiled for you about mm-hmm. that person, the glass shatters mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Um, so
1: oh nine. Julie and Julia. That and is of course. Julie and Julia. Our leading lady, Nora Ephron, does pass away in 2012. Um, I think what's interesting is that she kind of never stopped writing. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: In her movie-making years, she never gave up writing other things, like essays. And she has two essay collections. They're called I Feel Bad About My Neck and Other Reflections on Being a Woman, (laughs) which (laughs) was published in 2006. And I Remember Nothing, which was published in 2010. They were both bestsellers and with her sister Delia she wrote a play Love, Loss and What I Wore about women and their wardrobes once calling it The Vagina Monologues without the vaginas <laughs> <laughs> It's right. so clever funny. it's That's so really clever she's And great. uh I know she's fantastic and I I kind of wanted to end on this note that the New York Times did her obit what well, I mean uh, one of many obits but I like the, this New York Times bit And it says, Miss Efron's collection, I Remember Nothing, concludes with two lists, one of the things she says she won't miss, and one of things that she will. Among the won't miss items are dry skin, Clarence Thomas, (laughs) the sound of the vacuum cleaner, and panels on women in film. The other list of the things she will miss begins with my kids and Nick, and ends this way, taking a bath, coming over the bridge to Manhattan, Pie.
0: Hmm. Um, it's precious it it's is, precious. It is precious
1: yeah
0: uh, she she is someone and i know she would hate this the whole panels on women in film but <laughs> she was a very important voice for women in film because mm-hmm. how often do you see women mm-hmm. who are given those screenwriting opportunities those directing opportunities how many voices do you see like I think a lot of people not that they compare them but they kind of put them together it's like Nora Ephron, Nancy Myers Mm. you know Uh, they're very different in the way they approach movies but they are given the opportunity to do it you know Mm -hmm. and not not that many women do it like the fact that you could probably count on your hand like how many female screenwriters you might know Mm-hmm. I mean it's a lot and it, it it is sad that we lost her you mm-hmm. know that she passed away when she probably could have continued making great work we don't know obviously but it, it's something that I think the film world misses is having someone like her mm-hmm.
1: so smart and mm-hmm. biting and willing to criticize yeah cliches establish things tropes and turn them on their head or create new ones. And what she did for ro- the rom-com genre, I'm sure. I don't think she would like to hear us talking about her rom-com stuff. Right. Only. But um I think that's part of her legacy. And I think that that's why she is remembered as the great Nora Ephron. Is what she did to the rom-com genre. How she wrote. What she wrote about. And her voice.
0: Yeah she did and, mm-hmm. and she she changed the way rom-coms were viewed like because they could be so smart with their delivery mm-hmm. on the screenplay and just be well written and everything and witty, mm-hmm. witty you know yeah and the fact that you know you have strong writing for women characters in those movies mm-hmm. you know i think it was a big deal and you see the boom of the rom-com stemmed from that Mm -hmm. like the you know the modern rom-com that we know the
1: modern rom-com was ushered in by her her pen by her yeah
0: Yeah, she was the one that brought us into that new romantic comedy era
1: and then judd apatow took us into another different rom-com era that's a
0: whole nother conversation (laughs) my god what a conversation that is we don't have time for
1: that We one. No, no. We don't have we time don't. for that one. <laughs> not on this episode. We do not. But... Uh, I am thankful that Nora Ephron gave us so much and she left so much behind for us to enjoy.
0: Yeah. It it, it truly is uh, a, a blessing that we were able to see and listen and just, you know, as a movie fan, uh, the two of us are huge movie fans. The fact that we got to experience her writing and her her prose and her just her wit through, through the active screenplays, uh, you know, it was a big deal. It's huge for mm-hmm. us. And um, yeah, she is missed in yep. this world. For thank sure. you, Nora. Thank you, Nora. Thank you. So uh, thank you for joining us on this special <laughs> episode. Thanksgiving. Uh, thankful for Nora Ephron and her contributions Uh, to the world of screenwriting. If you enjoyed the episode and want to let us know what your favorite Nora Ephron works, uh, let us know online. We're
1: at Always Critic Pod. (laughs) Sorry. We're on online. Online Online killed me because we just talked about... Yeah, (laughs) Are you online? Come and check us out.
0: (laughs) Uh, So yeah, we're on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, at Always Critic Pod. Uh, if you have not subscribed, you found us just looking around. Uh, thank you for listening to the episode and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all of them. Give us a five-star review while you're there. goes a long way for us. And if you've done all that and really enjoy the show, enjoy what we're doing, go ahead and check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod.com. For as little as $2 a month, $2, you can support us, uh, listen to Back uh, back Archive episodes, uh, Jessica with K Rambles. Yeah. It's a big deal over there. Uh, she it. is pumping out a <laughs> yes. lot of content. And then I will be joining the fray very soon uh, with some of my own content as well. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, definitely check that out. And so with that said that has been our show. I'm Rico.
1: And I'm Jessica. And this has been the Always the Critic podcast. Have a wonderful holiday.